So it's seven metres out. Australia needs to try to win the game. Cobain takes the line out. Australia trying to drive ahead. Gregan again. And Larkham. Kefu. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Running Rugby Podcast. And whew, what a weekend, a win for the Wallabies, a loss for the world number one, a Japanese scare for Eddie Jones. We've got lots and lots to talk about. Uh, with me this morning is Leo. As always, uh, Toby should be joining us a little bit further into the show. But, Leo, what was your favourite part of this weekend? Was it seeing the All Blacks lose? Was it seeing the Wallabies win? What? Oh, I'll never turn down an All Blacks loss, particularly against someone who's going to really put the fear in them now in, in Ireland. But no, I'm going to I'm going to say Jake Gordon's debut, 65 minutes of great rugby, exactly what we expect from him. Uh, probably a little bit surprised he didn't uh, snipe around the ruck or didn't actually box kick at all in this game. Mm. Um, but just just meant that it was all nice and direct into the hands of the back line, uh, who looked a bit more settled. Not not necessarily because of because of Jake, but. But uh, but just lots of great service, ball out in front, guys running onto it, uh, not afraid to do a bit of cleaning out at the ruck when he had to. I think that's all all really positive stuff. I don't I don't recall any any really big negatives. He was a good sweeper in defence, and look great great effort on debut. Really really impressed and glad he got his chance. Yeah, we were all pretty happy to hear that he finally got that start, and I don't think I don't think he left anything out there. Um, he definitely put in his all for that for that entire performance. But a win for the Wallabies, that's what we wanted to see. That's what we hoped we see. Final score was 26-7, to 7, but it was, it was not easy early. 30 minutes of the game um, before any points were scored, and Italy definitely had their chances. They had a few breaks early in the first couple of minutes. Um, they had a, a try denied to their halfback, to Baldi, after an intercept off the line-out for being offside and looking back, it could have easily gone the other way. But a couple of tries to Marika Korobiti, uh, Tom and Thor breaks through with a try, and Genia wraps it up late at the end. What do you think of the that-looking team? What do you think of Tamura and Foley? What do you think of Falau being back and Adam, Kush, Adam Ashley Cooper being back? Well... I, this is this is almost the combination that I wanted to see um, back in the um, rugby championship. I think I was talking about getting a Foley Tamua pairing out there rather than a Beal Tamua or a Foley Beal, mm, whatever it was. That's right. Um, to be honest, I don't, I, and I don't know if this is the the individuals. I still think it's the strategy or the the tactics from the coaches. I didn't I didn't think it was particularly impressive. Like. 30 minutes against Italy, like Italy stepped up. Italy were very good, and they didn't get the run of the decisions. So that's probably what kept the game at nil all for 30 minutes. I don't think the Wallabies looked great as a whole in that period. And those guys are the ones who you'd want to generate some extra attack or um, yeah, come, create something and, and, and get the team rolling forward. And, and neither of them really stood up and did anything massively impressive and and the main thing that I don't like that they both were doing was the midfield kicks into space 
but in the centre field uh, to the Italians. So we're we're persisting with this returning the possession of them. We're not we're not really chasing territory because we put these kicks in the centre field. We make sure they hit the ground. That's that's good for any kick, I suppose. If you're not just going directly into touch, but we're giving them like, the entire width of the field to to use on the counter attack, and we're not really chasing as a as a line to to make sure that they don't cut us apart on that counter. And that's what they did on that first near try they scored. Uh, sorry, they nearly scored. Um, they they came back through the counter attack, split split a tackle through the middle, um, just picked out some, you know one of our players they decided was looking a bit weak or out of position, and mm. slipped in behind. So if that, I assume that's a tactic. I don't think that's the individuals saying, oh, this is the best opportunity because I've never seen this before this season, such a persistent centre-field kicking game. Yeah, I think we've seen it the last two weeks in a row. I think it did make a bit more of a difference having Mariko Korobidi in there chasing. Um, that definitely put a little bit more pressure, but you're right. We're not, we don't have a really organised chase and it's difficult when we're doing these sort of I know the the tactic, I guess, but they seem very much like nothing kicks to me. They don't seem like they really have a good purpose behind them. They just it's seem not complete. Like, yeah, it it doesn't work if you don't have the chase or something else to to contain the opposition where you're putting the ball. You you, I can only assume that the the reason they do it, get it on the ground, put it as deep as you can. Uh, and then it takes a long time for them to get the ball in hand and actually start the counter-attack. So you get a chance to to get some territory and and isolate a player. So you, you can only get something out of it if you get there before the rest of his team does to support him mm. and turn the ball over. That's that's your opportunity to turn it, out, turn it around as opposed to having a line-out there throw and you try and steal the line-out, which was actually really successful for us in this game. To pivot back to the forwards, that we got a lot of line-out steals in this game and really frustrated the Italians. Yeah, definitely. Isaac Rodder at the front there really got up in front of a lot of their balls, and consistently, I think there were about two or three in a row where he um, jumped in front and stole the Italian line-out, and um, it was nice to see because we haven't seen a lot of that in terms of our defensive line-out work um, getting up and stealing in in a little while. Again, on our offensive line-outs as well, Falafainga. A bit of a better game, a bit more accurate in his line-out throwing. Um, and it's hard to hard to say in their sort of scrummaging. Um, but we we were definitely stronger, probably against a bit of a weaker Italian pack. Yeah, they, their line-out really fell apart. Um, I don't know why they persisted with that throw to two when they could see that we were putting right, right on the five-meter line. Mm. Um but they did, uh, and and yeah, as you said, we, we stole the ball two or three times, and then later on a couple more times again off uh, their throw. So I guess that's 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 come late in the game. That's sort of post fifty minutes that that started happening. Uh, Simmons was actually on at that point, though he wasn't the jumper. Uh, as you said, Rodder Rodder did the work there. But uh, yeah, something something about the lineout defensively clicked after the fifty minutes, and and we definitely got a lot of ball out of that. And you'd think if it's something I feel like a team like the All Blacks, maybe the Irish now, if they're that sort of top-tier teams, um, they would look at something and say, these guys are having a really bad day in this one aspect. We're going to force it down their throat, you know, line out, line out, line out, mm. and just see if we can absolutely cripple their uh, cripple their 
yeah, their whole team's confidence in that and just force cripple them their to, confidence and yeah. just force them to continue to go to that level, which makes it a bit again makes it a little bit confusing with that tactic of keeping it in, kicking it straight down the middle. Uh, Falau fullback. You asked about Falau fullback. Yeah. Um, so that that was the other one. So when 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 we first started this game, we just had a quick look in our first series of defence because we were we were defending for almost twenty phases quite early on. Falau was up on the wing, and we had uh, we had Jake Gordon, and we had um, Adam Ashley Cooper sitting back, doing the doing the sort of sweeper, dropping back for kicks. So. If again, if Falau, if you're trying to give Falau more opportunities in space with ball, and you put him at fullback, well, you're either giving it to him because he's getting the, to counter attack off the kicks, or he's getting sort of to come in um, in earlier into the back line, or or running a sort of cross line for your back line playing attack. So if you've taken 50% of that away by putting him on the wing to defend then what was the point of putting him at fullback is sort of where I'm at. Like, I I don't think he's any more utilised in this strategy at fullback, and I would rather have a more traditional fullback for the defensive aspect of the game and the kicking aspect of the game than than Falau. So... I, I, it's confusing why you wouldn't have him back to receive those kicks um, and up in sort of in the defensive line, you would think that that would be one of the key changes from switching him from the wing back to 15. Uh, I do agree that that was a little bit confusing and it, it probably makes the switch more or less sort of a mute point because it doesn't change a lot. It's probably very similar in the end to there how he functions when he does have sort of Haylett Petty at the back there and they sort of do switch up a little bit. So it didn't it didn't really impact too much. I don't think it made him uh super less involved in the game, but in the same in the same vein when we when we were attacking, when we were making breaks, it seemed to still be coming through Karevi or through our wingers at the moment. It wasn't particularly him. He had one run sort of early on, um, in which he threw sort of a bit of a miracle offload as he was getting tackled. And it ended up being sort of a knock-on and a and a scrum from that, and that was really him coming into the back the back line late. It wasn't particularly him being um, getting a bit of open field, sort of running after taking a kick. And remember when we've got Beal in the starting side as well, like he would be back to take kicks as well. So either Beal or Foley are back with someone else to to catch and, and either return the kick or put a mm-hmm. bomb up. Because again, that's the another opportunity. Falau's back there, and you have someone who is uh, a recognised kicker, preferred kicker. Then they can be putting up a bomb, and Falau can be chasing through. And we've seen that be successful. Mm. But again, he's got to start from deep for a tactic like that. And and I think that's one of the ways we've utilised him best. But we're not able to do that with him on the wing. And I completely, uh, sorry, at fullback. And and um, I completely agree that uh, Karevi, great game. I was thinking it and I was making notes in this game. God, I wish I wouldn't rely on Karevi for that sort of final sneaky pass. Like you really just got to line Karevi up and shoot him out of the cannon and let him just bust the line because that's what he's good at. Yeah. And about the 30, you know, in the, into that 30-minute period, last 10 of the first half, that's when we saw him run straight, bust tackles, offload, 
that's that's where we got the value. And and as soon as as soon as he just looked like he was catching the ball and taking on the line, not catching the ball, making decisions and having to he's not that kind of outside center from what I've seen. I think he's much better utilized as a crash ball and that's where we got that's where we got points in this game. Mm, that's right. He set up that first try to Marika Korobiti, got the clean break and then offloaded to Adam Ashley Cooper, off to Pocock, off to Korobiti. And Adam Ashley Cooper was actually involved in both of uh, Morika Korobiti's try, obviously throwing the second to last pass there and then taking on the line and then offloading it to Korobiti uh, just only a couple minutes later for his second try. I was impressed and- with Adam Ashley Cooper's return back to the Wallabies in this. I thought he played really well. He didn't look like he had lost too much in terms of his um, gameplay, game speed. No, I agree. And I, I don't think he was quite uh, the the energetic, electric uh, Adam Ashley Cooper from years past, but he definitely warmed as he went into this game. And it's the decision-making, again, in my mind. So you compare the two wings, you've got Falau and you've got Ashley Cooper. Um, well, sorry, I say wings because he was sort of playing out, out wide. But um, when Falau got the ball and drew in the defenders... He, he was not focused on getting that offload until the last moment, and then he was really flinging it, and it's just a bit too late. Whereas Adam Ashley Cooper in that second Corabidi try, he, he changed his line, he went wider, he managed to draw, uh, draw the two men, but he managed to keep one arm out in front and free, and that's when he sort of manages to twist and offload before he's even falling to the ground. Like he's doing that in the same motion, he's breaking through the arms of the tackle, he's mm. trying to offload. And, and it's... It's that early decision which which managed to give an opportunity to score a try. And then with all the support runners on the first try, again, early passes, early decisions, just look, yep, that's the open man, pass it. Like, I don't I don't see Falau doing that as much. I think Falau Falau is a one out weapon. Um, you want us you want to put him into some space, give him a one on one he can beat and let him just run hurdles over people's swinging arms and trying to tackle him, bring him down. Don't expect him to do a whole lot of really uh, sensible passing or, or accurate passing because at the moment he's just flinging the offload when he's sort of left it too late. So Adam Ashley Cooper, I thought, was, was yeah, quite solid. It will be interesting to see if he can supplant anyone in our on the wings. I kind of think if Falau was put back on the wing, um, it would still be Korobiti and Falau. I, I don't think Adam Ashley Cooper is going to steal a spot, but he, he may be someone against who's valued against England this week because he's got a lot of experience. He's not going to be mm. uh, intimidated by the occasion, and if you need some stability late in the game, maybe maybe he's a slightly conservative pick, um, but he's still got some at- attacking jets. Yeah, I I would not be surprised at all to see him work his way onto the bench for this for this England game coming up. We do probably have to mention, unfortunately. Uh, Jordan Patea did get named as the starting winger in this game, but strained a hammy in training and missed that chance for his debut. Um, Rory Arnold also uh, had a slight fracture to his eye socket that they thought was just a black eye, um, so missed out from getting into this game and getting onto the bench. Uh, Rory Arnold's head home, but Patea's apparently... Uh, remained sort of improved over this week and is eligible for selection, though it'd be a bit more unlikely you'd think that he'd um, make it on for selection for the England game. So those two early Korobiti tries, we get a bit of momentum going into the half. It's 14-0 at the half. 
Second half, we come out a little bit more, still going for it. Um, Tong and Thor gets a try, him and Jack Dempsey a little interplay. But there was a question about a bit of obstruction here. What did you think, Leo? Did you think that was an obstruction? Did you think uh, ref made the right decision letting that go? I think we've I think we've definitely seen those types of plays called back in the past. We we've got a guy running behind another player. Whether or not the Italian player was impeded that much, if it stops him getting even a hand on on Taniella, I think it's it's relevant. You've got to assume that if a, if a professional rugby player can get a hand on a running player as opposed to him slipping through a gap, if you can get a hand to him, you've got a chance at making a tackle or mm. slowing him down and getting other support. And there was a lot of support in and around that same area. Like we were, we were still maybe seven to eight meters out at that point. Yeah. Um, and and you know, and the ball went back to Dempsey and then got back to Tupu again, and that was quite a flat pop pass as well, which which didn't get much of a look. Um, but the Matt, I think the only the only re- reasons I can think of why they didn't go back and look at that in a different way, or they looked at it but not look, see it differently, was there was enough players in the area and the ball did get held up two more passes um, before Taniella actually made the breakthrough. So they had time to reset, mm. and that that I can only imagine they let that go because they're trying to keep the tempo, not not um, over referee the game. Uh, which is the instruction for these tests in the Northern Hemisphere yeah, to, end, to end the year. They want to keep the game flowing. They want to try and intervene less. They don't want the TMO sticking his nose in and they don't want to have to send things to the TMO as often because they know it slows it down. Mm. Um, so, look, I think that's just another decision in this game that went the Wallabies' way. I think we got a lot of good, uh, a lot of decisions went our way and I think the Italians would have been pretty frustrated about that because they definitely created some opportunities and, and were hard done by. I think, yeah... I think they were definitely a little bit hard done by there. Uh, but Tong and Thor, you saw his agility and something that we haven't really seen in uh, too much in the last couple of weeks, uh, but that interplay with passing. And I couldn't think the last time that I'd seen some good like forward sort of offloads and things that weren't sort of scripted in the Wallabies. It seemed like a very much this is just instinct plays between him and Dempsey. Um, which was good to see among some of those sort of younger forwards. And I, I um, congrats to him for scoring his first Wallaby try. Yeah, it's good. That's that's the sort of thing where you just let the players play to their own strengths and instincts. Um, I, f- I feel like we've got a lot of ta- like raw natural talent in the team. We're, we're certainly not lacking that, not any more than any other country. And it does feel like it's, it's just a confidence thing. Like Tupu against the Italians, we were getting the run of a lot of different Features of the game, the scrums, the lineouts—we're all all looking reasonably good. The, the scrum was probably our weakest point, um, but the confidence that players get from that 50 minutes in, by then they're two tries up, and obviously he's right on the line pushing for that third. That might just be enough to get the guys to relax and play um, play their own instincts and skills. Versus in the first half, there was a number of times where we got up near the Italian line and we looked quite rigid and quite anxious with the ball and we were forcing passes and we threw a couple of passes either too late that went behind people and they dropped them mm. or too flat and, and the player knocked it forward because he just couldn't react in amongst all the traffic. And at times when you just feel like we've got lots of momentum, it's unnecessary, but it's that urgency. They're, they're trying too hard to create something which 
Uh, I think the Italians showed us that if you just use the ball for a while, play the phases, those opportunities come. It's, there's no rush. 80 minutes. It's a really long time. You do not have to force uh, force the breaks and the big um, attacking opportunities in the first, uh, first five phases. Like We should be looking mm. seven-plus phases, get them set up in a position we can exploit and take them on. Yeah, well, you talk about forcing their play, and that's probably uh, error in that regard sort of led to the Italians getting it, um, their try on the board. Uh, No-look pass through the back line with Foley, and it just goes behind us. And Bellin, um, Bellini, their, their young winger, um, scampers through and scores the try after a 50-metre-plus run. Um, so I didn't think Foley looked particularly impressive in this game at 12. Um, I thought it was surprising that he got the 12 on his back. I know it's, I guess it's a switch between him and Tamua in any case. They're sort of playing both the role in that pivot, but I'm not sure I particularly like him being a bit wider in the field and us relying on him in that sort of regard. He seems very much more like a first person to get his hands on the ball, sort of taking Mm. the line at speed sort of player. I I agree. I don't know why we actively put Foley at 12 over Tamua. I can't think of any reason to do that for for our own um, sort of our, our backline play. Like, what does he give you being one one set of hands wider than Tamua? You know, most of the time they're lining up that way for set piece as opposed to general play where they're mixing it up anyway. Mm. Is it a is it a sort of funny off putting thing to do for your opposition that you put the guy at twelve so that they they're then um, gaming for him at twelve rather than Tamua and it's just a kind of a irritation for that coach to wonder why it's happening. Okay, now we've got to think what what's the reason for that. Mm. I don't know. It just seems unnecessary. I'd much rather see Foley as the 10. Um, and I think you're right. I think he is center field. I think he is um, the first person you want to get the ball to. And then Tamua is a bit more of a maybe take on the line and a, and a bigger body Um yeah, I don't know. I can't. I can't think of any good reason for that, and and it worries me a bit that after putting him at twelve and he maybe doesn't play that well, are they going to go back to Beal Tamua next week because he didn't really show anything? Not whether he was in a position to do so or not. Honestly, I think that's probably the play that I would go to because I think Tamua looked quite impressive at ten, and your go to twelve has been Beal for many weeks, um, for most of the majority of the year. And it's not like Tamoa's goal kicking seemed to be reasonably um, consistent and on point, so you're not really lacking by taking Foley off there. I don't know. I would I would almost feel like that's what they're going to end up doing this week. Mm, yeah, it was because Beal Beal did get on eventually in this game. Yeah, and he came on for Foley. And he came on for Foley. Yeah. And and has he has he been the guy put to the bench because? He's the one that's locked in. Like, if, if you're going into the weaker opponent, you say, okay, these are the two guys we're trying to decide between. We're definitely picking Kirtley to start in that England game. We'll give him a bit of a rest. Who's going to step up? Mm. And 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 then, you know, maybe it, Foley it going off as a sign that, it, okay, the decision we've made is the Tamua-Beal combo is probably our best. Yeah. Let's just play at the last 15 of this game and, and see how they go. That's... That's probably my take on it. I think that's what we'll we'll see this weekend. Um, the only other thing I wanted to... Or two other things to touch on this game. 
Um, Falau had that late intercept and had a sort of 80-yard run. Run? Amble? Yeah. He did not look his normal speed, did he? He did not look at all like we are used to him taking that intercept and just being away and no one can touch him, no one can catch him. And admittedly, that uh, the Italian winger uh, ran him down who and that winger is particularly quick, but... He, he didn't look like he'd hit top gear. He didn't look like he was pushing that hard. Like maybe maybe he just looks calm and natural when he's running and, and he's not looking like he's really having to push that hard. But he, he didn't look elite quickness. That's He, he just has looked lacking. And, and when he got tackled, he was definitely kind of just rolling the legs over and didn't look like he had a great awareness that he was isolated now and he had a player chasing that player was going to catch him he didn't he didn't make any moves to try and step and weave and 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 get the guy to have to make decisions as well to to track him down so i don't know it's it's an odd one i don't i don't know that it's oh it's just just laziness and thinking he was going to make it or it's just just something else like you, you just not realizing that he needs to look over his shoulder and and see what's going on and think about if the guy's going to catch me, how yeah, am I getting the ball back to my team? Exactly. So, it, yeah. I, th- I think it's probably a, a write-off. Like, it's just a bit of one of those sort of strange things. It's something you don't normally see from Flower, but it's just interesting. And if we start to see a bit of... Um, complacency. Lack of, yeah, complacency. Or, or whether there is a niggle, niggling injury or something that he's dealing with and he's not quite sort of at 100% um, in terms of his speed. Maybe that does come out later on. But something to note. The only other thing to note late in this game is we saw a bit of an injury to Pocock. Um, swinging arm. Yeah, When you look it. at the detail of it, they didn't really talk about it in the commentary, but it was only one man doing his best for 80 minutes mm. on the commentary of that game. And, yeah, it was definitely an Italian swinging arm. Got him got him late in the tackle, and hopefully he's all right for this week. But, what, we, he was a pretty solid hit, and he looked pretty woozy coming off. He looked really taken back with that and obviously yeah it went straight off and um had to bring Dempsey back on that's right Dempsey had to come back on to sort of support um then so it will be a massive blow if we end up having to play someone else um at number eight because David Pocock is out when you'd be you'd probably be thinking that maybe we should have brought him off earlier yeah, I mean, he's having a good game. He and Hooper and Dempsey, I thought, all, all played pretty well. They were really active, really involved. Hmm. Um, I had notes in my notes, front row, really involved in defense as well. Like, it was a good, good, just um, a good, good 80 minutes for pretty much all the forwards just being involved across the park. And Pocock, you think, just gets those guys going, gets a little bit of, um, you know, momentum into them. And, and he's definitely one of the respected leaders. So, not having him there, do do you then miss a couple of opportunities to get turnovers because you don't have an elite pilferer and then you don't quite get as much ball and heads get down a bit because it's a bit harder? Like you would definitely be much much more comfortable as a forward in the Wallabies knowing that Pocock's there. Uh, Hooper will have to step up if he's not playing. We think Dempsey will be uh, retained in the back row somewhere, yeah. and then it's it's really just a decision whether we. Whether we bring Samu in as a starting eight, do you put Dempsey to eight uh, and bring on Hannigan as a starting six? Mm. You probably got to look at what England brings. Are they are they more pace? Are they more size, muscle, 
height and the line outs um, to get that blend right. Um, but yeah, it's 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 a decision we didn't want to have to make. You just wanted that back row to be set. Um, I don't know if you could say you should come off early. You could make that argument for a lot of different players. Uh, but it's just bad luck, really. And, and unfortunately, the Italians aren't going to probably feel any repercussions from it. But yeah, we'll just have to see what, what Checker decides. I think it's going to be matchup related, to be honest. Yeah, potentially. Uh, just just troubling that that's uh, another sort of neck injury. And if it keeps Pocock out, sort of how long his body's going to be able to stand up to what he's getting subjected to week in, week out. Um, I, th- I think that's the only big thing um, worrying about his, obviously, his general health in terms of himself, but um, planning ahead and if, if this is going to be a recurrent thing, whether it's something that needs to change in the game to help protect him or whether it's something that he we might need to plan for um, life without Pocock because um, the guy will put in every effort, but I don't know if he's... If he's copying these um, neck injuries um, recurrently, whether he's going to stay on the field. Yeah, it's terrible. He shouldn't have to assume that he's going to get targeted on the, um, to his neck each game. And and that's one of the tactics we've seen is they come in to, uh, straight through the gate. They get their arm around his shoulder and neck and they try and roll him sideways. The other tactic we've seen is players are actually coming in from the side. They, you can't, you, a guy in that position, you can't push him over. So they've got to really latch onto him and they're coming in from the side of the ruck and trying to then roll his whole body. I think some of them are just too good. They're, they're not going to get removed and, and they need to ref the ruck properly so that players don't get injured. Yeah, yeah, it would be a shame to see him miss uh, this final game. Um, obviously such a key key performance against England. Um, let's talk about some of the other games of the weekend and let's start with the English game. Um, England versus Japan, Eddie Jones taking off on his previous uh, team, a uh, team that he coached to that shock sort of um, victory last World Cup versus South Africans. And it looks like the Japanese were coming to town and looking to take another big scout. They started really quickly in this game. In fact, leading into the halftime break, 15-10, to 10, um, and probably startling Eddie Jones to make a few early changes bringing back onto his sort of top top players in terms of people like Owen Farrell and some of his top-line props um, to bring it back. England were able to win in the end and probably the Japanese just didn't have enough gas in the end to keep up uh, with the frenetic play they were trying to implement on this game. But final score, 35 to England, 15 for Japan. And and if, if all we take from this is um, what, what tactics... Are the English not um, compatible with in in terms of what we can bring? I think up up tempo game style is something we're definitely capable of. Mm. It's probably not something we've been we've been playing to though. I I can't remember the last time I saw a quick tap. It probably would have been Genia somewhere in the rugby championship. But we we don't tend to play um, that really up tempo game. I think probably because we're not always super confident in our decisions, so the guys want to get together and, and have a quick chat and, and think about it. So we haven't yet got to that point where it's all just instinctive. Um, but giving the giving the Wallabies players a license to to play fast and, and you know, accept that you get what you get from your quick decisions, but if you get some opportunities, then they're worth making quickly. I think that's a little game plan that the Japanese have given us a bit of an insight into. And I'll tell you what, if the English aren't comfortable with it, 
you've got to consider it as, as an option and, and a, a winning half against England uh, for Japan is a really good a good sign for them as well. They've put in a lot of effort, they've changed their team, they've changed their style and they're, they're building confidence when they're, when they're playing these top-tier teams. Yeah, definitely. They did not look overwhelmed at all in this game. Um, and I think you're right. There was a huge sort of push with especially Tanaka, their number nine. Um, anytime they got a penalty sort of in their, the attacking sort of 60 pretty much, he was always looking for a quick tap and let's keep it going and just to run around these big English forwards and probably limit the amount of set piece they had to work with because that's always going to be a favourite of these English teams. They're going to want to slow it down, get a scrum, get a line out, set up a rolling mall because that's where they are best and just running them around and making them make more and more tackles than they probably wanted to be making led to some Japanese success and um, it started early with a try to um, the Japanese um, 12 Nakamura just um, split through the English line and then later down with Michael Leach who just had an amazing game was really all over the place um, getting a late offload and really slipping through about um, four different English defenders to run the sort of 15 or 20 metres to score the try in the corner. It was amazing to see and I, I really have enjoyed watching Japan um, and I think it's gonna, they're going to become a favourite to watch going into next year's World Cup. Which is great because it's in their home territory, obviously. And I think, um, I think yeah, Japan have worked really hard and, and they deserve uh, all the, all the um, compliments they're getting. Um, it's definitely that New Zealand uh, influence in the coaching ranks that's, that's helping them expand their repertoire and, and change their style. And, and they're definitely a lot more competitive and fun to watch. Who do you think, uh, which which halfbacks do we have in the Wallabies who might be able to play like that, Arch? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure Genny can take taps. There's some other guy I'm pretty sure played this week. Uh, is his name Flash? Flash, is that his name? That something, is his so, name. Something Gordon. That is his name. That is his <laughs> name. This is, again, another reason to, to include someone like Jake Gordon who's had a really strong game against Italy, come off the field, um, just 65-minute substitution. That's got to be basically scheduled. And that's the, if, if you're going to play that up-tempo game, it's not a Nick Phipps game. And if you're down by a few late in the game, you need someone with some attacking chops. And that's mm. why here at the, rugby, the Running Rugby Podcast, we support Flash. <laughs> Definitely, and I think, yeah, I really hope that um, Checker does give give those guys, um, Genia probably in particular, some freedom to say, look look for that if you think there's an opportunity, take that quick tap and keep it going. Um, but there's not probably not a lot more to say about this. Uh, when they did bring on some of their more consistent sort of people in terms of getting Owen Farrell back on, getting Colin Slade back in the back line, getting Sinclair and George back into the front row. Um, it seemed to show England um, sort of fortified up a little bit more um, and managed to take away this game. Let's switch to another game that was uh, another really great one to watch. Um, a lot of enterprising play, and that was Scotland versus South Africa coming out of Murrayfield. This was a hard-fought game early. Um, first half had a lot of points in it. Uh, I think the halftime score was 20 points to 17 to South Africa. And then full-time, Scotland trying to come back, but not quite um, being able to 
to finish off some attacking moves and South Africa winning this in the end, 26 to 20. Yeah, and some some really good attacking play. Like we saw Henry Pollard making moves, cutting through the line. We saw Papier, the, the very quick little halfback. He, he had a pretty good game as well. Mm. Um, lots of good attacking opportunities. And uh, maybe Archie's favorite new Scottish player, Hugh Jones. Hugh Jones is amazing. He's so good. and if you Very impressive. If you haven't seen it... Um, you just need to go back and have a look at uh, the the Scottish's first try, and he gets two touches in it. The first one's a catch and deliver round the back, um, and then he does a sort of no real look offload towards the end, just to give set up the try for his inside centre there um, in um, Rob oh, Peter Horn. Sorry, going back into um, Wallaby's heyday and Rob Horn, but Peter Horn, Hugh Jones, he's been good for a few years now, but freakishly good work in this game. Um, and then you add that to their sort of other people in their back line with people like Stuart Hogg, with people like Sean Maitland and Greg Leadlaw. Um, and it's really enterprising some of their back line play. But not only the, that, um, did you see their little line-out trickery as well? Um, I did. I did. I really liked that. That was um, that was the most... Well, I haven't seen a line-out innovation like that in a long time. Mm-hmm. And it everything's from the... The jumpers play, like selling the selling the the deep throw, the the man at one turning like he was going to take a, a short um, a short throw down the tram tracks and just this enormous gap and a pinpoint throw um, which only really works if you've distracted that man at the front and he doesn't put a hand to it and it was just beautiful. I've never seen a cleaner a cleaner catch and run through through from the halfback. Yeah. Oh, it wasn't actually halfback. It was wasn't their, the halfback. It was their the number seven, but yeah, yeah, coming from the halfback position. Yeah. Um, though Springboks, though, still showed that they were able to hold on and they, they sort of came back quickly um, getting points after that sort of first first try and then, yeah, continued to sort of um, push and push. And you're right, Papier had a good game, but I still think they lose something not having someone like Faf Clerk in just in terms of game management. And his sort of box kicking as well. I think he's a lot more adept. And Papier had a few sort of miscues with that. Yeah, that's fair enough. I, I mean, they're, they're playing playing with what they've got. It's good that another guy like that's getting opportunity. He uh, he had some really good games in Super Rugby, but he also had some inconsistent performances. Still young, still inexperienced, relatively. Um, the for Faf de Klerk to come back in, you know, it just means we've got they've got another. Uh, quite uh, electric little attacking halfback off the bench, which mm. again is is the 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 model I think most teams would want is someone who can come back on come on late in the game and continue to attack hard and and create opportunities. The only other thing in this game, which was a little bit of a controversy, probably won't be looked at so much now with the Springboks managing to win. Uh, but Willie Larue was yellow carded late in this game. Um, if you didn't see it, it was a big floating outside pass that um, he was coming in, and it looked it looked very much dangerous for an intercept, and it sort of just gone above him. He sort of just put a hand out um, straight forward and looked to knock the ball up. And I think all the commentators, everyone thought it was a bit more of a um, positive play in terms of him trying to take it, but then um, it sort of bounced a bit too far in front of him, a bit out wide, and he ended up getting a yellow card which I think everyone was a little bit shocked by yeah to me this one looked looked like he was in a position to catch it or at least put, pop it up to then 
chase onto it and catch it. And and I think under the guidelines, that's that's supposed to be allowed. Uh, not not allowed, but but only a, a penalty or a knock on, depending on the situation. In 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 that particular moment, it did, didn't look like they had. Uh, overwhelming numbers and he'd broken down the play. He definitely didn't bat the ball down. It didn't look negative. So a bit disappointing it came to a yellow. But again, if if they're going to give cards for things like this and they're going to make decisions that are, you know, in gray areas where it was this positive, negative, like we just want to see some consistency. I think we feel like that one's probably on the slightly harsh side. Probably would have been okay for a penalty there because he did look like he had a genuine chance. Mm. Looked like it was in within reach. Yeah, but I guess in the end, doesn't really change the results. South Africa holding on to that one, uh, 26-20. A bit of disappointment for Scotland, but they'll probably look to bounce back um, with Argentina coming up, which should be a good game next week, while South Africa heading down to see Wales, um, which should be a really entertaining game. And we can probably move on to probably what was the biggest upset of the weekend. And, oh, Toby's joining us back to, to talk about this one. Toby, how are you going? Mate, I'm good. Home from work. I'm ready to talk some rugby. <laughs> I can't believe you didn't fight a Dublin for this game, man. Mate, I wouldn't Cup have got a ticket. Preview. wouldn't yeah. have got a ticket, I don't think. It's a hot ticket, this one. I yeah. think probably um, more important than, obviously, the, the English All Blacks game, even that one, even though that one was you know being looked forward to for so long. This one, I think, is was the key game from these Autumn Internationals. Yeah, and and it did not disappoint. Only only one try scored in the game, but an all-out pretty um, great great um, defensive mentality from both teams trying to stop each other, um, trading penalties early. A few errors that we wouldn't expect to see out of the All Blacks, um, and some unlucky sort of drops. We saw Kieran Reid um, almost take a charge down um, and pick it up to score, but unfortunately knocked on. Um, and that was from that guy Stockdale, the Irish winger, and then only a little while later, Stockdale, in a brilliant chip and chase himself, uh, managed to score the only try of the game and created a final score of sixteen to nine. Ireland winning their seventeenth game out of their last eighteen, and that's got to be a great feeling for them taking down the All Blacks in Dublin. Isn't it nice that we're the ones that beat them? That's it. It makes us. It makes our win look a lot more impressive, doesn't it? So if only things could have gone a bit differently ever since that first winter test when we beat the Irish. And then remember, we did almost, didn't we? Almost beat them in the second test. Like that, we kind of fell apart late, but we were, we were a chance in the second test there too. Yeah, I think it was it was pretty tight amongst those three games. I think the fact that we beat them in the first one though is a little bit tempered by the fact that Joey Carberry started and they didn't start Sexton. Yeah, so he was really good sure. in this game, wasn't he? Oh, it was amazing. He just he just manages the team so well, mm. um, orders everyone around so efficiently, and just makes the right decisions. And his kicking's great. I, you can't really fault him at this point. Yeah, they um they're just just looking really complete, and and I just think good for the game that the All Blacks aren't unbeatable, aren't aren't seen to be just you know insurmountable as as a team. Like we don't want to go in any games with a foregone conclusion and Ireland and England and some of these other teams, unfortunately it's not the Wallabies are uh, uh, keeping the All Blacks in check and just and just stopping them being this ridiculous un- unbeatable aura around them. 
And I don't think they ha- they haven't been kept scoreless the All Blacks in what five years or something in terms of tries. So that was a feat in itself. But I don't know this the way Ireland's playing. If they can continue this form, you you got to say they're probably going to be the favourites if they continue this form. But just off one performance, I know people are jumping to conclusions that they're they're now the team to beat. But I think look, it's it's one game. The All Blacks are still. I think number one and the team that everyone should want to beat first. Um, but over the next 12 months, I think it'll be a little bit clearer about how the All Blacks are going to have to adapt to these new challenges because they've had such a good run. Um, but their form, I think, of late has been a little bit up and down. So they're going to have to address a few of the problems they've had. Yeah, for sure. They definitely have been a little bit, a little bit disappointing on this tour. I mean... Um, it's hard to say too much about that game versus England when, look, it was sort of in in so much sort of bad weather and heavy rain. Um, but this really showed a new element to what the Irish can do and how they can sort of punish you. And um, a little bit uncharacteristic, I mentioned already, sort of the Kieran Reid sort of um, charge down and knock on. But a couple of knock ons in this, including the the final one to end the game when they were looking to search for that try. Brody Retallick coughing it up in that era. Um, so they're definitely not quite at the level that we've seen them for consistently been playing at in years past. Yeah, I'm just I'm taking a look at this. They're almost identical across the board. Things that I can see that Ireland won out on are the turnovers conceded. So New Zealand basically turned the ball over 17 times to Ireland's 11. And I think that could have been the difference here because apart from that, the stats are pretty much identical. Yeah, that's right. Really, really similar in terms of breaks, in terms of missed tackles, 24 apiece. Um, all very, very similar uh, with Ireland just holding on to the ball a bit more in the first half, but um, New Zealand doing similarly in the second half. But that that really creates a little controversy and those teams aren't going to come up against each other again until the Rugby World Cup um, if they do manage to meet sort of late down in that tournament. But really, really good to see. Um, other games we had in were France versus Argentina, and France got a little bit of um, revenge after being um, taken down by the Springboks by a late try. Uh, they they punished um, Argentina and showed a few flashes of some great play. Um, still still not hugely consistent, but Argentina, I think they'd be disappointed. They're not quite managing to bring what they were doing in the rugby championship. Um, in terms of 80-minute performances to the Northern Hemisphere. But final score there was France 28, Argentina 13. Um, and other sort of results from around the week, uh, we had Wales versus Tonga. Uh, Wales, um, which I don't think we noticed, but they, they'd gone to number three in the world, which is impressive. But they took on Tonga, nine tries to three, um, winning that one 74 to 24. Tonga knew, never really got anything going in that game. Um Uruguay versus Fiji. Uruguay went down. Uh, Fiji showed some expansive play there, 68-7. to uh, Georgia took down Samoa, 27-19. Um, and that was the main sort of results from the weekend. Let's look forward to this week. And let's talk about it. The Wallabies coming up against England. It was the one to watch. It was the one we were all hoping um, for big things from this from this tour, and it was how we were really going to set the benchmark. I think um, bit different too in years past because we normally end up facing them first or second week of the tour versus the end of the tour when we've sort of got 
a few more things figured out, I think. But they faltered a little bit versus the Japanese. Does that mean we sort of have a chance to take them down? Leo, quick okay. tip from you before you got to head off. Uh, look, uh, we, Archie and I already mentioned this. We think if the Japanese have given us a game plan of, of attacking English early and often through through quick taps and not getting dragged into their set piece, uh, Wallabies playing to their potential and, and executing a plan like that. I tip us to win if we have Jake Gordon on the bench. But I'm uh, if we have Phipps on the bench, I'm tipping us to lose and it's a six-point margin away for me. It's amazing that it come down to that one player. But as we said, we are big proponents for Jake Gordon on this podcast. I won't stop saying it. <laughs> well, you just gave us a follow on, on Instagram, so that's a good sign. I think if we just keep bigging him up, um, you know, <laughs> it's a it's good thing to come for him as well. Definitely, definitely. Toby, I know you missed our sort of recap of that Italy game. Was there any any big points that you wanted to just mention from that? Um, or anything that you think really changes how they're selecting the lineup, the lineup for this game. Um, me and Leo were sort of suggesting that between Tamua and Foley, maybe there was only one spot going in the starting 15 um, for this week, with Beal more likely to be sort of selected there. And we really thought that Tamua really probably outshone what Foley did on that in that Italy game. Yeah, I was. I mean, from my perspective, Foley had a really poor game, particularly early on. He just made some really strange passes, strange decisions overall. I just think he was a bit out of place there at 12. Even though they were kind of shifting between who was first playmaker, I just thought it was a weird move to name him as a 12 because Tamil, we know, in years gone past, has played 12 and he's comfortable there. So you would think that keeping Foley at 10... Putting Tamura at 12, where he's much used to defending and being a second playmaker, a bit wider out, I think that would have been the move. So I don't really understand what Checker was trying to achieve here. It's not clear to me. Um, but it's it's done a particular disservice to Bernard Foley's chances of playing against England, I think, mm. which, which is unfortunate because I do think still that when they're in form, Bernard Foley and Kirtley Beal are our best 10 and 12 combination at the moment. And I think it's very hard to put Foley at 10 and Tamura at 12 and then leave Beal out unless he's going to play 15. And I'm not sure we're going to see that this week. Um, So then it kind of leaves you, like you say, there's one spot going. Tamura by far had the better game against Italy. So do you leave him there at 10 and bring Beal in at 12? And then we're back to that same situation we had a few games back that really wasn't working that well anyway. So I don't know, man. It's um, it's a really hard one at the moment because Foley's in for, uh, out of form and he's not taking mm. the ball to the line. Um, and you guys probably touched on that maybe, but yeah, yeah. it's it's a tricky one. And um, in years gone past, we never would have questioned who was going to be picked there at ten. Now it's just it's very cloudy. Yeah, and especially when you're looking at what happened in the Rugby World Cup the last time, or not the last time we faced England, but that was when sort of Foley really stepped up and he can have those games where he completely makes a statement early in the game, takes on a line break, kicks a couple of penalties, scores a try, and really put England out of that game really early on when we versed them in the World Cup for this. But he doesn't seem Mm. to be able to do 
sort of similarly what he's been doing um, in years past. What about what about the 15 spot? You were a big proponent of seeing a bit more of Falau at 15. Um, we mentioned earlier that despite him being at 15, he wasn't back um, fielding a lot of the kicks. He was still doing a, quite a lot of defence on the wing. Um, do you think he's done enough to put a bit of pressure on DHP to try and get that 15 jersey? I'm not sure it's pressure. Um, I thought he had a pretty average game against Italy as well. Even though I think it was, we were proven correct in saying that, look, fullback's going to touch the ball much more often. Mm. I think he did get his hands on the ball a lot more. But then he was forcing these passes, like, out the back of the hand, just seemed to be making some ill-advised decisions. And he wasn't, you know, he wasn't kicking a lot. He wasn't kind of chasing as hard as he usually does. It, it was strange because I think maybe he hasn't played there for a little while now. It's almost like he's, he's forgotten some of the positional play there. And for mine, I think versus England, if they're going to be kicking, we probably do want someone like DHP back there. And there's rain forecast as well for the weekend which kind of, you'd have to think that the play was to rest DHP against Italy and then probably start him against England. I think that's the way they're going to go, which means then you're going to see Falao on one wing. And then the discussion comes from that, who's going to be placed on the other wing? Because we've got guys like Naivalu who've been performing pretty well, guys like Korobidi who have been a, a bit of a mainstay in this Wallabies team now. Um, and then you've got some some new guys. You could put Patea in. You could um, put in Swoopy, two dads. Um, so that's that's where I think the selection dilemma is on that maybe on that blindside wing. Um, but I think from my perspective, DHP will be named there at fifteen just by virtue of his tactical play, his positional play, his defence. I think he is probably the better option, provided he's at full fitness. Um, I think he was rested for a reason against Italy. Okay, I I don't particularly see that controversy on the other wing. I think it's probably Corobidi sort of pretty hands down. Um, you mentioned it, what we sort of lacked a little bit um, without Corobidi on the field, and it's a lot of that kick chase, and we seem to be um, continuing to pursue this middle middle of the field sort of kicks, and I think you've got to have him... Um, for his intensity and ability to put a bit of pressure on the other team. He offers something that no one else really does. But I do think Adam Ashley Cooper maybe did enough to get, get onto the bench. Yeah, that's it's a tough one, isn't it? Because you saw his class. Just some of the decision he made was so smart. Um, the way he took the ball to the line, changed change direction, just little pops. Um, he just... He, he makes the right decision most of the time and that's where I think we're lacking a bit of smarts in these other footballers, whereas he comes straight in. He probably didn't look as fast, as, as dynamic as he used to be and that's only that's probably one concern with some of the pace that England has out wide, which is an argument again for Korobidi. Um, it's whether you give up a bench spot for, for Swoopy where you, you want that impact in the second half perhaps, whether you want someone a bit more dynamic or you want someone that's more plays a bit more like, say, a DHP, who's very reliable, um, going to make the right decision most of the time, and will come on late and kind of lock down that game. Um, it probably just depends how that how the game flows and whether we're behind or we're holding a lead. Um, so, 
It's going to be interesting, though, because now having him back does bring a bit of a headache um, going forward because if we're playing Falau on the wing, you've got to assume he's going to be picked there. There's only one other wing spot going. So the competition is quite vast for that. Um, it's whether it's whether DHP for the next year can hold down 15 or not. That's probably the biggest question. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. So let's let's go through what we think um, we need, well, what the selection will be, um, and then let's talk a little bit about where we think England's vulnerable. But the front row, what do you think? Taniella had a pretty exciting game, got a try. Do you think he starts this week? You've got to be tempted to start him because I think he had the best game he's had in a Wallabies jersey for sure. He um, he kind of was reminiscent of some of his Reds performances this year and getting that try really topped it off for me as well. Um, and he played, what, a good 50 minutes, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, he got through that pretty well. He didn't look too tired when he came off. So if you're going with the strategy that you can play him the first 50, 60 minutes, I think that's fine. Um and England does tend to have those props that are pretty dominant, so you do want to make an impact from the start. You don't want to be chasing your tail in terms of that set piece. Um, so I probably would be starting him. I think it's probably time. Um, I think he offers a lot with the ball, and he offers a lot in the set piece. So I can't really see an argument against him right now because he looks fit and he looks ready to go. Um, and he doesn't look overawed by the whole situation, even though it'll be a Twickenham... I think that he's he's ready to step up for this one. Does that mean you see the same starting front row as last week with Fyanga starting, or do you see Paul Lotter now coming back into the starting? I'd, uh, I don't know. Taff looks a little bit chubby right now. Like He looks a bit slower. He looks a little bit tubbier than he usually is. Um, I don't know if that's just because of the style of play he's been accustomed to now being up at, at Leicester. But I, I wouldn't be starting for Laufeinger, I don't think. I think it's between, for me, it's for between TPN and Tolu. It's whether okay. you take the risk of starting Tolu. Because mm. um, there has been this rotation. I feel like Checker probably played for Laufeinger against Italy. Um, at the off chance, he was really impressed with his throwing and his set piece. I didn't think he was that good. Um Maybe you do go with a bit of a veteran against England um, at hooker and then play him the first 40 and then bring Tolu on for the second 40 or something like that because TPN has such good experience and yeah. he can offer a lot for younger guys like um, Taniella. Um, Scotty C, I think, has got to be there at number yeah, one. I don't, I don't think, think that's, that's a debate. Mm. Um, but you're right, it's, it's tight-headed on hooker at the moment. And I'd be going with Taff and I'd be going with Taniella from I, my perspective. But it's a bit of a risk, I think, with Taff. Yeah, I, I sort of see, like you saying, Taff coming back in just because they'll want experience. Um, but considering that that's happening, I, I would then probably think that they're going to go again for experience and maybe even start Kepu and then look to bring Tolu and um, Taniella on as impact players later on. Um Taniello did look really good in that Italy game, but that was a bit more of open play, a lot of sort of um, space and a bit more room for him to do something. And I think that's going to come versus England in, in later aspects of the game. So I think with Alalatoa as well, I'm, I'm sure he'll come back in probably on the bench. I don't, don't see him starting, but no. I think he was rested against Italy. I'd be surprised if Jermaine Ansley's there in those four props. 
yeah, I think that'd be unlikely. I don't think there's really any question about what the second row makeup is, um, just with Rory Arnold now headed home after that fractured eye socket. You're going to see Roddy, you're going to see Coleman in the starting lineup. The only other question is whether we have a healthy Pocock back. What's your opinion on if we don't have Pocock? What's your back row going to look like? Yeah, see, I was, I was trying to have a think about this today, and now we're being exposed because we don't have, you know, a top-line number eight to come in. Um, mm-hmm. That injury to Pocock, it didn't look good when he was coming off. And I think I was thinking initially it was a concussion, but I think it was a stinger to his neck. So he's, yep. he's having ongoing issues with that neck. Um, the thing is, he's a warrior. He might play regardless of his true condition. I, I'm not sure, but... If we're preparing for him not being there, Hooper Hooper stays at seven, obviously. I think Jack, you keep him at six. I think he's only going to improve with his ball carrying and he's got good aggression, which I like, particularly against England. I think that's needed. Um, number eight, it's like, do you, just, do you just do something crazy and throw in Rob Valentini to start at number eight and just hope that he gets through one half of football? I don't know. It's number eight. It's just, we don't have a lot of options there right now. Even though he's a development player, he's he's definitely eligible now, right? So mm. he it's, he could be the guy that comes in because Nisarani can't play yet, so he's not an option. That's that's um, interesting. Who else have we got? We got we, it's Pete. Yeah. Sa- For me, that I think is going to end up being Pete Samu coming on and playing eight. That's what we saw versus um, Ireland earlier in the year when Hooper sort of went out and we didn't have those t- the pooper sort of combo. The only other way you do it is if you put Jack Dempsey at eight um, and move, but then you're probably going to end up seeing um, Ned Hannigan come on to six. And I don't think we have been impressed enough with Ned Hannigan to think that he's going to stand up and make enough of an impact on these English forwards. It's really tough because England do have a big forward pack, a strong, powerful forward pack. So I think if you're playing, I know Pete Summer is a, he's a warrior in himself. Like he's a, not a big guy though, and I don't know if we're giving away too much by starting him alongside Hooper, because Pocock's a bigger bloke than Pete Samu. and I know they offer similar things in terms of their pilfering, you know, decent ball carrying ability, but probably you suffer at the lineout. Um, I'd like to go with someone a, a bit bigger in stature and a bit better in the lineout. Valentini, if he's if he's fit, I'd be tempted to chuck him in there and then have Samu coming on in the second half when when some of those bigger English forwards are getting tired. Um, but I guess you could, again, you can counteract that big physical forward pack of England that probably lack a little bit of mobility with playing someone like Samu and running them around more. So I don't know, man. It's, it's, it's going to be a big call because I, I'm sure every Wallabies fan would want Pocock to be there. Um, but with these continuing neck injuries, you just don't know whether he's going to be right. It, mm. You don't want to risk that time of, type of thing either. And Pocock's a relatively, he's a smart guy. He's not going to just yeah, put himself out there regardless, I think. So if he has any issues with that neck this week, I think, look, odds on it will probably be Samu. Um, but I feel like that's a trap almost in terms of size in that back row. Mm. Fair enough. It's, it's, it's a bit worrying how... Much out, we sort of feel like your back row is falling apart if you're if you're not going to have Pocock there. Um, the big news, probably elsewhere in this game, is the jersey we're wearing, and we're going to see the Indigenous jersey come back 
We saw it in the final Bledisloe game of last year and looks like the people in London have seen it just placed outside the Wallabies Hotel um, in the recent times as well. Is that right, Toads? Yeah, just outside Twickenham there in one of the suburbs around um, along the Thames there. They put that big jersey in front of the hotel, giving them a warm welcome. Um, and I think, you know, it's a really, really interesting um, move by the Wallabies to wear this against England. It does bear a fair bit of significance. And I'm sure that Kirtley will be really fired up for this one, um, being a, a proud Indigenous man. Um, but I think similarly for the Islander boys as well, um, and I think anyone that pulls on that jersey on Saturday is going to be really feel the occasion of it, I think. Um, and it would, I think it helped lift them against the All Blacks last year. This is the second time we've ever done it, and it looks like going forward we're going to pick one test match a year to be pulling on this jersey. Mm. Whether it gets redesigned every year or not, I'm not sure they're going to do that, but we'll see. Um, but, yeah, I think it's a great initiative. I'm going to be wearing mine. And it's for those supporters getting out there, it's um it just adds to the occasion I think from my perspective. Definitely makes it special. I ordered mine, got it last week, so I'll I'll, I'll be joining you wearing it as well, Tobes. What's your final yeah, exactly. pick? What's your final pick for this game? Oh, mate, it's it's tough because England are picking up in form, and I think that the fact that they got close to New Zealand, they would be pretty buoyed by that. Um, Japan was an easy game; they only played their second string team but you know did did away with them in the end pretty comfortably so i think england's confidence will be up um as it as it probably should be against a wallabies team that's been faltering and i didn't get a lot of confidence from that italy game even though we won it by what three tries or something nearly yep yep um i don't know what you boys said on the pod earlier but I was pretty disappointed in our performance. Um, I really thought that we'd string a better performance together against an Italian team that hasn't been strong for at least five years. It's kind of reminiscent of our performances in the rugby championship when we've won games, particularly against South Africa, that one in Brisbane, where we didn't really look like we were convincing. Um, I like to think we could win this, but I've been to the last two years of games and we've lost, and I thought we had a much better team then. Look, mate, I don't know... I. I really hope the Wallabies get up. If they do, it'll be less than three points. Um, but I'm always so wary of England, particularly mm. in their counter-attack. They're just, they're just so dangerous. And with the rain coming on, that even makes me more, I guess, negative about our chances. But, yeah, I don't know what your feeling is. I think Leo's being optimistic, picking us by six points, um, regardless of Jake being there or not. I'm going to say, look... Tentatively, I'm going to pick the Wallabies, but I'm not. I'm not very confident. Yeah, look, it's it's tough to pick the Wallabies in this game. Obviously, England being being such a powerhouse in in recent times, people that you need to um, negate in terms of what we look for are the Wallabies. Um, people like their forwards in terms of Itoje is always sort of trying to rush up, especially in defence. Um, so you you need to watch out for him and sort of get him away in the ruck. They'll probably bring in um, Underhill in at seven, which, again, we need to negate because he's, he's another big human being. And then, obviously, Owen Farrell, Ben Youngs and nine. Those guys are really good at, at targeting territory in play. And they'll be looking to kick it in behind the Wallabies line. So, in the end, I think it means that England are probably going to take this one. I reckon it's probably going to be 
I'd probably give him a 10-point buffer, I think. As, as sad yeah, as I, just... I am to say. Yeah. I think it's it's probably the smart pick is England by 7 to 10 points. Um, I hate to say it because I had a similar feeling against Wales. I, I thought we would lose that game against Wales. I just didn't think that we were up to it. And we did win. We did lose it narrowly. Um, I'm even less. I'm less so optimistic against England because I think England are a better team than Wales. I think overall, England have better players across the board, and I think they'll probably show that in in the coming Six Nations. Even though Wales has got that number three ranking now, um, I think England are a much tougher team. So it's um it's it's going to be a you know, it's definitely going to be a game that's going to be interesting to watch because this is the last game of the tour. Leave it all out on the field. There's a long time until another test match for the Wallabies. So guys will be wanting to really, you know, show their, their best qualities so that Checker has that in the forefront of his mind when he goes to pick the squad for next year's rugby championship. Um, because it's it's a World Cup year next year. It's the most action-packed year on the calendar every four years Mm. this is a big game against england it always is um and i think these guys will lift will they be able to lift enough i think it has to comes down to probably michael hooper's leadership as well um, making the right decisions in key moments particularly if you don't have pocock there i think we've pocock plays they give us a far better chance and people are aware of that pocock is world class and he's showing that all year. I'd need to see the team list to see some of Checker's selections because this last few games, I've I found a few of his decisions questionable. So I hope that he really nails this one and gets the right guys in there. Um, I think Leo's correct to say that Jake Gordon should be on the bench. Um, I don't think you're going to see him starting again, but I think he, he did enough in that performance against Italy really to show that he should be backing up Will Genia and that he offers a lot. He's got a great pass and he's dangerous. He didn't even really snipe much in that game, but he's just quick around the paddock and he he just seems to pick the right option most of the time. So I hope he gets that opportunity to to come on. Yeah, we'll hopefully see him take take one of those bench spots. Um, Let's quickly zoom around the other games this weekend and you can give me your picks, Toby. Only a couple ones that are a bit more interesting, but uh, people like Italy are taking on New Zealand. You'd probably be back in the All Blacks there. Yeah, by by a lot, and they'll they'll rest quite a few guys. I think they've sent a, a couple of guys home already. Mm. I don't think it'll matter. I don't think they're going to be too impressed with how how they performed against Ireland, given their standards. And I think they'll come out and and probably put at least thirty points on Italy. Mm-hmm. Um, if we can win by what did we win by? Nineteen. Twenty around yeah, nineteen points. I think the All Blacks will win by at least thirty. Could be even. More of a score, 40, 50 points, who knows? Yeah, fair enough. Ireland are taking on the USA. Much easier um, opposition for them versus last week. See, you'd, I just, you'd see them probably doing a similar thing to USA, you'd think. France taking on Fiji, yeah. which should be a bit of an interesting match, but you'd think France, um, after having that strong victory over Argentina, they should be able to put it together versus Fiji, but that might, might be one to surprise us. Um other games that are probably a bit more interesting to see, you'll have Scotland versus Argentina, and Argentina um, having a few losses in this 
tour that they've been on despite having the strong rugby championship. Um, what do you see out of that game? I was in, I was very impressed with Scotland. Um, I thought they were unlucky to lose to South Africa. So given their performance last week, I think Scotland, if they're playing their, all their guys, they, they should get a win here. Argentina might be guilty of, of being a little bit lacklustre late in the year now. Um, but I think Scotland are ramping up for big six nations. And, um, yeah, I think they could win this by about 10 points. Yeah, I have to agree. I, I loved what, what you saw out of Scotland um, versus Springboks, but not quite able to finish it out. But, yeah, Argentina definitely not being able to put in the 80-minute performances in recent weeks. Uh, what about Wales versus South Africa? The number three in the world versus the number five. Um, definitely would have, wouldn't be expecting that to be the rankings in terms of Wales 3 and South Africa 5 from recent years, but Wales have proved it um, in a couple of games this year, and they're coming off a big sort of a big wing over Tonga last weekend, um, which really would have given them a taste of, of getting some tries for this one. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think South Africa, again, probably if they play to their potential, should win this one. Um, but Wales, we know at home, are, are tough to beat. Um, they've had a pretty good. Um, autumn so far I just think that South Africa have probably a better set of players particularly if they go with Pollard at 10 and they play most of the guys they played against Scotland they just have the ability to break the game open and Wales if they get behind tend to struggle to to, to put tries on so I think South Africa I, I would pick in this one and I think it's probably still going to be tight but I think say say South Africa by yeah, six to ten points, I think. See, I was just checking um, because I think South Africa, despite Papier looking all right um, on the weekend versus Scotland, I think they do lose a lot with Faf de Klerk and looks like they've let Faf de Klerk stay with Sale um, and they're not going to bring him back for this game. So I think that Wales, I reckon they got a chance to take a victory here and um, give South Africa a really good run for their money. I reckon Wales are going to get this one by five points. I disagree. I think Papi is a very good player. I, I don't know. I hadn't watched him much until he played for the box, and his service is pretty outstanding. He's pretty quick around the park. I know that Faf is probably still the dominant number nine there in South Africa. But the, the back line they've got going at the moment in South Africa, I don't know. I could see this exact back line going to the, to the World Cup. Guys like Willie LaRue, Jesse Creel, Daliende, Pollard. And Deontay there, I don't know about Nkosi, I think he's okay. Um, but the majority of that back line, I think, is pretty set now. Yeah. And similarly with the forwards, they've got some real quality in there. So it's going to be a good tussle, I think, but we'll have to wait and see. I think it's um, Wales have had a, a pretty good year overall, but it's whether they can continue that and continue to build because, I mean, they've got Gatlin still running the show there, um, and they've kind of reinvented themselves a little bit, but... I think sides like South Africa should beat them. So it'll be be a good good matchup this week. Yeah, that'll be an interesting one to see. Um, another, a couple of the smaller nations square off in Georgia is Tangi on Tonga. Um, we also have Spain versus Samoa and Russia versus Japan in a bit of a preview of that Rugby World Cup pool next year. Um, yeah, so few few smaller games to cover there. But I think, yeah, the biggest games this weekend, I'm really looking forward to Scotland, Argentina and Wales, South Africa and obviously England versus the Wallabies. That's going to be the biggest one and such a test. The only other things to cover from the weekend, World Cup, 
watch. Um, we had the repechage still continuing to go through with those four teams fighting it out for that last spot in the Rugby World Cup. Uh, Kenya lost to Hong Kong 17-42 to um, on the weekend and Germany lost to Canada 29-10. to So it all comes down to this weekend's game, Canada versus Hong Kong. Um, Canada definitely leading uh, the table and most likely to get that final spot um, unless Hong Kong pull out a big bonus point win and don't allow Canada to get any sort of points in this one. We'll see Canada joining, um, taking the last spot in the 2019 World Cup. And that's in, um, yeah, that's in Pool B. So that's with New Zealand and South Africa, I think. Um, so a tough pool. You know, you have Italy and Namibia as well in there already, but you'd have to think that New Zealand and South Africa will go through from that pool. But it's good to see Canada if they can get there. Yeah, uh, as I said, I think last week this they have never missed a Rugby World Cup. Uh, so I think it'd be a shame to see them miss it um, this year. But it'd be also interesting to have another... Um, team from Asia in terms of Hong Kong making an appearance there as well. I'm sure we'll see a bit more of them in the future. Is there anything else you wanted to mention this week, Tobes? No, mate, I think that's it. It's um, a few big games this week, but it's coming towards the end of our rugby season. Um, Northern Hemisphere is still obviously ramping up towards the Six Nations over here. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the Southern Hemisphere, there's going to be a little bit, of, little bit of a break now. But yeah, it's it's been a long year, and I think it's been an interesting year of ups and downs in some ways. But yeah, I'm still I'm pretty pumped for this weekend because I get to go to the game and be in that kind of epic atmosphere that Twickenham brings. It's going to be cold, it's going to be wet probably, mm. um, but I'll still be loving it. So anyone overseas, tune in. Otherwise, get across to the game if you can if you're around London. But get behind the Wallabies because they need our support. That's it. Hopefully we will see another Wallabies victory. Um, Would love to cap off this 2018 year on a positive note. Um, But either way, we've got 2019 coming up. We will, of course, be back next week. Um, We'll wrap up all these final spring tour games um, and we'll give a bit of an outlook and a recap of the whole season. But look, we we probably won't be able to stay away for too long. There's too much exciting stuff happening in rugby. Uh, Thanks for tuning in, guys. No, a bit of a longer one today, but we just can't help ourselves, I guess, when we keep talking about this stuff. We tend to keep going on and on. Again, guys, tune in to us. um, Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Those are the two biggest platforms that we use. Um, And as well, get on to us and engage with us on social media, up on Instagram, up on Facebook at Running Rugby Podcast, and on Twitter at Running Rugby Pod. Um, we love hearing stuff from you on their sites as well. Quick one as well, Arch, for Android users. I think I'm told by Leo that we're also on Google Podcasts if you want to download that app. Um, so if you prefer to, to use something other than Stitcher, um, get onto Google Podcasts and you can find us there as well. That's great to hear. I love to hear that we're, we're still expanding um, how we're delivering content to you guys there. Uh, we love doing it and hopefully you guys enjoy listening to it. As Toby said, get out, watch some of these games. I know I'll be up wearing my Indigenous jersey um, late night, this Saturday night, um, hoping to see a Wallabies victory. But in the end, just hoping to see some great rugby. And after all, that's what we always want to see, some great running rugby. All right, guys. Peace out. Keep on running. Run.